Hi listeners, it's Carter, here to tell you about an incredible event celebrating the launch of ParCast's first book, Cults. On July 13th, crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together for a night of true crime to remember. And you can be part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and so much more. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. It's a wonderful cause and an evening perfect for any true crime fan. But time is running out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. So don't wait. Sign up at parcast.com slash cults. A warning, this episode features graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Loch Ness Monster. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Scottish urban legends for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we make a trip around the world in our newest season of Mythical Monsters, International Cryptids. We begin with the most famous of them all, the Loch Ness Monster. Rumors of this monster have brought thousands of monster hunters, skeptical scientists, and curious tourists to the Scottish Highlands. Nicknamed Nessie, she's a veritable industry, with monster tours and souvenirs bringing in over $50 million a year. And yet, despite all this attention, she's managed to avoid capture. Some would say that's because she's no more than a mossy log, a giant eel, or the imaginings of a particularly excitable Scotsman. But at 23 miles long and almost 800 feet deep, Loch Ness is impossibly large. The water is a dark, muddy brown, dyed by runoff from nearby peat bogs. In one of the most mysterious lakes in the world, Anything could be lurking. Coming up, an ancient horror awakens in Loch Ness. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In April 1933, a story appeared in the Inverness Courier with the headline, Strange Spectacle in Loch Ness. The article reported how Aldi Mackay, a hotel manager from a nearby town, spotted something in the loch while driving by with her husband. Aldi yelled for her husband to stop the car. There was some sort of beast in the waves. She could barely make out its shape, only that something large, dark, and slick with lock water was swimming in a circle. In all her time living by Loch Ness, Aldi had never seen anything like it. The article kickstarted a Nessie frenzy that has lasted for more than 80 years. Hundreds have claimed to see the Loch Ness monster. Some say she's a large seal, a giant eel, or even a mythical Scottish creature called a water horse. But most claim she's a large aquatic reptile with a long neck, similar to the extinct plesiosaur. Multiple scientific expeditions have tried to find the elusive creature, using everything from sonar to DNA sweeps of the loch, but they've all been inconclusive. Part of the problem may be using modern methods to find an ancient creature, because Nessie didn't originate with Aldi Mackay's sighting. For almost a millennia, people have known to fear the creature in the loch. Cat watched the water lap softly against the side of the fishing boat, the last rays of setting sun glancing off the surface. It was almost time. They'd been planning this dive for months from the moment they found the journal. A small, unassuming manuscript written by a monk in the 9th century and preserved in the university's archives. Most of its contents were mundane. The quality of beer, the number of sheep lost to disease, what he had for breakfast... But hidden among the pages was the gem Cat had been looking for, a brief mention of a cave on the banks of Loch Ness. The writer claimed that inside was a golden hoard, the last evidence of the ancient Picts who used to live there. Cat thought they'd found the perfect thesis. When they brought it up to their supervisor, though, they'd been laughed out of the office. By no means was the university going to fund a Ph.D. student's treasure hunt, especially not to Loch Ness. The optics alone would make the program a laughingstock. If Cat wanted the funding for their wild goose chase, they'd have to find it themselves. So here Cat was, on their mother's old fishing boat, waiting for the loch to empty and hoping no one came asking for a permit. They checked their equipment one final time, 
Judging by the pressure gauge, they had enough air to safely handle about 30 minutes underwater. They'd managed to borrow a set of infrared night vision goggles from the university dive team to help them see in the dark water. It should be a routine dive, just long enough to see if there was anything in that cave. Do you have everything? Kat's mother Deirdre asked. A short woman in a worn Celtic FC sweatshirt, she'd spent the last half hour fiddling with instruments at the helm, pretending she wasn't nervous. Kat nodded. Ready to go. Are you okay? Deirdre nodded, trying and failing to look reassuring. Kat was grateful their mother wanted to help them, but they wished she would at least admit how worried she was. Deirdre's generation didn't share their feelings much. Still, Kat could see the anxiety in her face. Kat held up their lifeline, the thick black cable that connected their dive suit to the boat. Just keep an eye on that umbilical cord, and remember, I'm just on the other end. I'm not going anywhere, I promise. Take these, would you? Deirdre said. She held out a small orange cylinder. It was an explosive sparkler, one she normally used to scare seals away from her fishing nets. Cat shook their head. Okay, I know it's too much. Just be careful out there, Deirdre said. Cat nodded. That was good, the closest Deirdre would come to saying what she really thought. Once this dive was over, they really should sign up for family therapy. Cat put the rebreather in their mouth and switched on the night vision goggles. The world turned an eerie neon green, the only color coming from the red and yellow shape where Deirdre had been standing. Cat sat on the edge of the boat, took a deep breath, and let themselves fall backwards into the lock. Deirdre's throat tightened as she watched Cat slip under the waves. She knew they knew what they were doing. Cat had promised her that enough times on the journey out here, the exasperation getting clearer and clearer each time they had to repeat it. But Deirdre couldn't help the fear. And as long as she'd been out there, there had always been whispers about the lock. Of course, the tourists came out in droves to snap pictures of the famous monster, never mind that their irrefutable proof was nearly always a mossy log. But the people who lived along the lock talked too. Sheep who grazed too close to shore disappeared. Night fishers didn't always make it back the next morning. It could all be accidents, of course, but something told Deirdre it wasn't. The sound of the sonar caught Deirdre's attention. She'd resisted at first when Cat encouraged her to buy it. She'd been fishing the lock for long enough. She knew where to find the wriggling eels when the Atlantic salmon were spawning. But she had to admit the thing certainly helped. And now, as she watched the little colorful sound wave spike representing Cat blink on the screen, she was glad she'd bought it. Kat had come back from university with all kinds of new ideas, new interests, new passions, even a new name and pronouns. Like with the sonar, Deirdre had pushed back at first, but she knew her kid, and Kat wasn't one to make changes lightly. They had always gone after exactly what they wanted. So in a matter of months, Deirdre went from never having heard the words maritime anthropology to captaining Kat's research expedition. It might make her uneasy, but she had to trust her child. They knew what they were doing. 
Even with the high-tech goggles, the dark water was practically impenetrable. Kat's flashlight beam only illuminated a few inches before the gloom swallowed it up. Kat had planned for this. They'd practiced the route to the underwater cave so many times in their head, they could do it in their sleep. Still, doing something in theory was always different than doing it in practice, and Kat hadn't accounted for the creaking noises that seemed to be echoing around the lock. They knew it was probably just the sound of the last few boats on the surface. Still, coupled with the dark water, it was unnerving. Kat reached out, and their hand hit something hard. Rock. They'd found the shelf. They swam down, keeping one hand on the rock wall, until suddenly, the rock was gone. They'd found the cave. Kat swam a few feet inside the opening, trying to keep their heart rate steady. This was the hard part. Cave diving was incredibly dangerous in the best of conditions. It was easy to get lost, disoriented, even tangled in your own lifeline. If anything went wrong deep in the cave, there was no quick way to return to the surface. But Kat's worries dissipated the minute their flashlight illuminated something on the cave wall. They flipped the night vision goggles on top of their head and swam closer, wiping the thin sheen of algae from the rock surface. If they could have, they would have gasped. There, in the yellow circle of their flashlight, was a carving. It showed two round disks surrounded by intricate carved patterns of knots and swirls. Three lines connected together over it, forming the shape of a Z. The monk's journal was right. Well over a thousand years ago, when the lock was much lower, the ancient Picts had lived in this cave. Cat swam farther into the cave. With each kick of their flippers, the flashlight revealed more carvings. Serpents slithered around intricate crescent moons. Bulls grazed under complex patterns of interconnecting knots. Cat stopped when their flashlight illuminated a symbol they'd never seen before. It looked like an animal with a long, thin snout and flat flippers. Water spouted from a blowhole in its head. It must be some sort of aquatic creature, a dolphin maybe, or perhaps something unique to the lock. Something the Picts believed important enough to carve a likeness of all those years ago. A tribute. Cat looked down at their pressure gauge and realized their air supply was starting to get low. They checked their dive watch. They had 10 minutes left. They'd better head back up. Cat turned back to the mouth of the cave. They followed their guideline, keeping their flashlight close on the ground below. They stopped. Something blocked their path. They flipped the night vision goggles back over their eyes. The thing was a cool green, not black like the rocks around it, like it had a faint heat signature. They turned off the night vision, brought their flashlight up. That's when they understood the carving. It wasn't a tribute. It was a warning. Blocking the mouth of the cave was a huge yellow eye. Coming up, Cat and Deirdre take on a monster. Hi, listeners. It's Carter with some truly exciting news. To commemorate the launch of Colt's, ParCast's first book, 
Crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together on July 13th for an in-person and virtual experience you do not want to miss. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature a live Q&A about the book, an exclusive meet and greet, and a discussion on all things true crime. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. It's an amazing organization near and dear to both Ashley and Max, and another great reason to enjoy this wonderful night. And it's just days away, so visit parcast.com slash cults to register today. You can also catch the event virtually on Spotify Live if you are unable to join us in person. All attendees will get a signed copy of the book and a night they'll never forget. July 13th is fast approaching, so be sure to join Ashley Flowers and Max Cutler for a very special evening celebrating the release of ParCast's new book, Cults, all for an incredible cause. Register today at ParCast.com slash cults. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to the story. Deirdre stood at the helm of the fishing boat, checking her instruments. The ship was small, barely 20 feet long. Small lights shone from the railings, marking the outline of the ship against the night sky. As far as Deirdre could tell, there were no other lights in the distance. They were alone on the lock. Deirdre kept one eye on the large spool of cable slowly feeding out into the water from the back of the boat. Kat had told her about the cave, about how when they went inside it, it would be nearly impossible for the sonar to keep tracking them. Still, Deirdre couldn't help the sinking feeling in her stomach the moment her child's shadow disappeared from the readout. But the steady movement of the lifeline kept her calm. As long as the line was safe, so was Kat. When the sonar began to ping once more, Deirdre immediately relaxed. Kat was out of the cave and would be at the surface soon. But when she looked at the readout, Deirdre grew confused. The sonar worked by showing jagged echoes of ultrasonic waves bouncing off shapes underwater. It couldn't show exact outlines like in the movies, but it could show movement. The echoes on screen weren't approaching from the direction of the cave, but from the south, the deeper, open part of the lock. Must be a school of salmon heading for spawning grounds at the north end of the lake. Only... It didn't quite move like a school of salmon. It was swimming incredibly fast, already nearly filling the screen just moments after detection. Steadily growing waves rocked the fishing boat. Something slick and scaly breached the surface. Deirdre gasped as she realized it was longer than her boat. Whatever this thing was, it was massive. And Deirdre realized with dawning horror, it was heading straight for Cat's cave. 
Deirdre's mind whirled. She needed to do something, stop this whatever it was from going near Cat. She shoved her hand in her pocket and withdrew the orange cylinder Cat had refused, the seal bombs. Suddenly, the spool holding the lifeline began spinning wildly. Something pulled the line down faster than Cat could possibly swim. Deirdre stuffed the firecracker back into her pocket and threw herself at the spool. She pulled the lever for the emergency lock as hard as she could. The line snapped taut, making the entire boat pitch and heave. Deirdre threw the spool into reverse. The motor whined and the rope pulled tight. Whatever had it wasn't letting go. Then, as suddenly as it started, the line went slack. The spool only hauled a few more meters of lifeline out of the water before it reached the end. The rope had been severed. Down in the cave, Cat frantically swam backwards, away from the glaring eye. They gasped as they crashed into the cave wall, their scuba tank making a metallic pinging noise on the impact. They looked back at the cave mouth to see that it was empty once more. Cat waited, counting in their head. Thousand one, thousand two, thousand three. The cave entrance remained dark and seemingly empty. Cat swam forward slowly, carefully, trying to disturb the water as little as possible. Their mind raced. Had they really seen what they thought they'd seen? They'd heard stories of divers getting confused, disoriented, even hallucinating when dives went wrong. Not to mention they'd been hearing about the Loch Ness Monster their entire life, spending years of their childhood too scared to even dip their toes in the loch. And there was that strange carving on the wall. Maybe everything, the dive, the stories, was getting to them. Cat took a deep breath and surged forward. They cleared the mouth of the cave. Ahead of them was nothing but a wide expanse of dark, empty water. At the very edge of their flashlight beam, where the light was swallowed by the gloom, they caught a glimpse of movement, a long, thick, scaly flipper, nearly the size of a car. Cat's throat tightened as they pointed their flashlight up. The flashlight caught a glint of something reflective, ivory against the dark. They only realized it was the thing's sharp teeth as it sped towards them from above. Cat fled back into the cave. The creature's terrible maw filled the opening, teeth gnashing as it tried to fit inside. Cat felt something pulling them towards the creature. Their lifeline had become entangled in the monster's jaw. It reared its head back, pulling them toward the mouth of the cave. Cat kicked at the beast, trying to do something, anything to get away. Cat felt the sharp teeth as they closed around their right ankle, felt the bone crunch and shatter. They tried to scream, but only managed a stream of bubbles. They lashed out with their other foot. The water slowed their movements to an agonizing crawl. Just as Cat thought they were going to lose consciousness from the pain, the jaws released. Cat retreated to the back of the cave, their mangled foot hanging uselessly from their leg. A red cloud bloomed in the water around the tattered shreds of their yellow flipper. The lifeline had been snapped too. The end dangled from their wetsuit, as limp and useless as their foot. 
Cat willed themselves to slow their breathing. They could not panic. The more frightened they became, the more oxygen they would use. They checked their pressure gauge. It had been getting low even before they encountered the monster. Now they had barely five minutes of oxygen left. Their stomach sank. They only had two options, stay in the cave or try to escape in the open water. But they could see the odds. Either way, Cat was going to die. Coming up, the fight with Nessie becomes a family affair. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Now back to the story. Cat's thinking was already going cloudy. They were stuck in the cave, losing air and losing blood, every second taking them closer and closer to death. At the entrance, the creature snapped its teeth, twisting its head back and forth in an effort to burrow further into the cave. Maybe it would be better to swim out, Cat thought, into the creature's waiting maw. Maybe that was preferable to slowly drowning in the safety of the cave. A loud boom sounded from somewhere nearby. Cat shook their head. Their oxygen was getting too low and nitrogen was building up in their blood. They must be hallucinating. Or maybe not. The creature had stopped moving. It seemed like it was waiting for something, listening. Another boom traveled through the water, closer this time. It was unmistakable. The monster withdrew from the cave and disappeared into the darkness. Cat knew this was their chance. They checked their oxygen gauge. The needle was firmly in the red. If they didn't move now, they would drown. The cave, which was supposed to be their great discovery, would become their tomb. Cats swam forward, wincing with pain as their injured foot trailed behind them. As long as that thing was distracted, they could get back to the surface, to fresh air. More explosions echoed through the water. Cats swam up, kicking as hard as they could with their good foot. They could feel their lungs aching as each breath took in less and less oxygen. Their lips began to tingle. Strangely, they felt buoyant, almost exuberant. Bubbles erupted from the rebreather as they began to laugh. They knew they should feel scared. These were signs of nitrogen narcosis. Their brain wasn't getting enough oxygen. A note of panic pricked at the back of their skull, hazy and far away. Just as the panic finally broke through the haze in Cat's brain, 
The water changed. The gloom began to lift. Something shiny and silver danced above them. They realized it was the moon seen through the surface of the lock. Cat broke the surface and ripped the rebreather from their mouth, gasping for air. Cool, sweet clarity pierced the fog that had settled over their brain. They could float on the lock's surface, breathing in the night air forever. But they weren't out of danger yet. A hundred yards ahead, they could see the yellow running lights of the fishing boat, bobbing violently up and down. Beside it, towering out of the water, was the monster. It was the first clear look Cat had gotten at it. The long, swan-like neck curved gracefully out of the water. Nearly 20 feet above the surface was its head, ivory teeth glittering in the moonlight. Another explosion echoed across the water, louder this time. A splash came from the front of the fishing boat. The monster struck the spot, fast as a viper. That's when the pieces came together in Cat's brain. The seal bombs, the little explosive Cat's mother used to scare the seals away from her nets, that's what had distracted the monster. Cat could see Deirdre's silhouette racing back and forth on the deck. She shouted Cat's name over the water, anguish in her voice. Cat waved their arms, but Deirdre kept moving. It was too dark. Deirdre couldn't see. Cat shouted out to her, Ma, over here, I'm okay. The moment the words left their lips, Cat regretted it. Their mother ran to the edge of the boat. She'd heard Cat, but if Deirdre could hear them, so could the monster. The beast turned to face Cat, its yellow eyes meeting Cat's own. The eyes were dull and emotionless, a predator's locked on its prey. There was no reason here, only instinct. Cat closed their eyes, bracing for the creature's attack. It didn't come. Instead, a shout rang out from the boat. Cat opened their eyes to see their mother standing on the railing, waving her arms and shouting at the beast. She was distracting it. Cat struck out for the vessel, giving the creature a wide berth. They moved deliberately, trying to swim without splashing and attracting the monster. With each kick, their injured ankle throbbed. But slowly, they inched closer to the safety of the boat. As Cat came closer, they could hear what their mother was saying. Deirdre was letting out a steady stream of expletives, throwing anything on the boat that wasn't tied down in the creature's direction. You stay away from my kid, you bastard! Deirdre shouted and launched one of Cat's marine biology textbooks at the creature. It roared in pain as the book hit home and sank back down below the surface. Cat could see the dive ladder at the back of the boat, bobbing just a few yards away. They surged forward, kicking for all they were worth. They heaved themselves aboard, panting. Deirdre ran to Cat's side and unbuckled their scuba tank, holding them close. You didn't think I would let that thing hurt my kid, did you? She said, stroking Cat's hair. Cat grabbed her hand and squeezed it, too exhausted to reply. Stay there, I'll get us out of here. 
Before Deirdre could start the engine, the boat lurched violently to one side. Deirdre was knocked off her feet as the creature rammed the vessel. The electronic equipment, the sonar, the lights, everything sputtered and went out. Deirdre pulled herself to her feet and tried the engine. Nothing. They were dead in the water. Cat pulled on their night vision goggles. The bright green of the creature's heat signature loomed out of the water over the boat. It struck fast as a viper, missing Cat by inches. It withdrew, taking a chunk of the boat's small deck with it. With no engine, Cat and Deirdre were sitting ducks. There was nothing they could do. At least, nothing Cat could do. But Deirdre had other ideas. As the creature prepared to strike again, Deirdre took Cat's hand once more and squeezed it. I said I wouldn't let that thing hurt my kid, and I meant it. Too late, Cat realized what Deirdre was doing. They watched in horror as the warm orange and yellow shape of their mother pulled itself over the railing of the boat and plunged into the lock. Cat screamed and ripped the night vision goggles from their head. They pulled themselves toward the side of the boat, ignoring the pain from their ankle. The beast struck the water where Deirdre had landed, jaws snapping closed on something solid. Desperate thoughts swirled in Cat's head. They just needed to spot Deirdre in the water. Then they'd find more seal bombs somewhere in the boat, distract the monster just like their mother had. They could still save her. When Cat finally pulled themselves up to the railing, the strength went out of their limbs. Tears sprang to their eyes, mingling with the brackish lock water as they looked out over the surface. It was too late. The monster was gone. It had slid back underwater. And where their mother had been, there was nothing but the smooth, unbroken surface of Loch Ness. While the most famous Loch Ness monster sightings come from the 20th century, the beast has a much older tradition in Scotland. According to a 6th century text called The Life of St. Columba, the Loch Ness monster was first spotted on August 22, 564 CE. The Irish monk Columba was traveling across the land of the Picts, an ancient people that lived in modern-day Scotland. He came upon a funeral on the banks of the river Ness, which feeds into the loch. The mourners explained that the dead man had been attacked by a monster when he'd been swimming in the river. St. Columba sent a follower across the river, and the water beast appeared. When Columba made the sign of the cross and ordered it to go back, the creature retreated into the water. This story is not the only connection between the Picts and a lake monster. Standing stones and artifacts have been uncovered across Scotland with specific Pictish symbols. One carving that appears often on these finds is of a water creature with a long snout and flippers. All these signs could point towards a real creature, something that lived in Scotland thousands of years ago. The Loch Ness Monster could also be a religious allegory, representing paganism, like the so-called snakes St. Patrick drove out of Ireland. In modern times, though, the monster can be seen as another type of allegory for the staying power of a story. 
Over the years, dozens of pranksters have staged photos of strange creatures in the loch. The most famous showed a dark creature with a long, swan-like neck rising high out of the water. Despite eventually being debunked as no more than a toy submarine and some modeling clay, the image stuck. No matter how many experts declare the water to be monster-free, crowds will still flock to Loch Ness. Physical or metaphorical, the ancient and modern stories of the Loch Ness Monster feed into one of our basest human fears, the terror of the unknown, the fear of what lies beneath the waves. For all our sonar scans and exploratory missions, the fear still remains. Who knows what lurks in the dark waters of the world's deep lakes, hiding, hibernating, or hunting? Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another international cryptid. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Molly Quinlan, edited by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Aaron Larson. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, it's Carter, here to remind you that a very special evening with crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler is just days away. It's an event celebrating the release of ParCast's first book, Colts, and you can be a part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles on July 13th and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and more. Plus, all ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. This has all the makings of being the true crime event of the year, so don't miss out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. That's parcast.com slash cults to sign up today.